Hello, everyone, and welcome back for the next episode of the Sports Pro Stream Time Podcast. My name is Chris Stone. I'm the community lead at Sports Pro, joined as always by our CEO, Nick Meacham. So, Nick, I, I don't know about you, but my weekend, I guess what I can say is, you know, 24 hours and I'm finally dry. Um, there's this stereotype that it always rains in England. And, you know, I would argue it's actually maybe not as bad as the stereotype makes it sound. But yesterday, Nick, I was out in the rain for five consecutive hours coaching American football. Um, had to be probably the just ugliest game of football anyone has ever seen. Um, I imagine most Americans can't imagine how bad American football can look. But I can tell you when it's two university teams where 90% of the people have never played the sport um, before a month ago. Watch them try to do that in the pouring rain, and uh, it's ugly. We won 6 nothing, but yeah, 24 hours, and I think I'm only just now dry, Nick. Did you say six nothing? That's uh, what I said. <laughs> was it three safeties, a couple of field goals, or a, a touchdown failed conversion? What are we? What are we going with? So it stopped raining for all of about three minutes, and in that three minutes, we managed to be on offense, and I, uh, as the coordinator, managed to get an offensive touchdown drive together. Um, failed conversion, but yeah, basically outside the three minute period when it stopped raining, there was no offense yesterday. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that sounds brutal. You need one of those guys, I don't know if anyone's seen it before, the, um, all those extra helpers they have on the sidelines helping some of the offensive coordinators or head coaches at the NFL. I love the one that follows around. Um, who's the head coach for uh, the Rams? Sean McVay. Yeah, you knew who I was going to say. The one where basically okay. drags him back off the sideline every time he's about to get smacked by a player or a referee or a Lions judge. You need one of those people, but instead just holding an umbrella above you when it's pouring down with rain. Uh, I'm sure that's something you can uh, speak to the speak to whoever the powers that be to organize that for you. I've already got a lot of volunteers. I don't know if I can get a personal <laughs> umbrella, man. But hopefully your weekend was a little bit drier than mine. It was uh, yeah, it was wet. It was just very, very wet, as stereotypically English as that sounds. Yeah, I mean, I remember the years that I've over the years that I've moved here, it definitely feels like it's a lot heavier the rain. It reminds me of my days in Australia where I used to live in the tropics for a bit and it's sunny, like right now, beautiful sunny skies. It's a beautiful sunset in front of me here. Um, whereas about an hour ago, it was pouring rain, dark and gray and just bleak beyond all bleak in Australia had it similar where they would rain one day and then, well, so rain one hour and then be great the next, uh, one shortly after. So, uh, it does feel like things have changed over the last 13 years. Apparently there's this thing called climate change, which might have something to do with it, but you know, flat earth and all that. So, <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, we can get into Flat Earth talking about Kyrie and Twitter, and we might just do that later on in the episode. But, you know, maybe we'll avoid all, all the bad weather, chat, and we'll just sort of – well, actually, before I jump into I do once again want to remind everybody, uh, because at least we at Sports Pro are quite conscious of it, uh, we're actually just about three weeks away now from the turn of the Sports Pro OTT Summit being held in Madrid Obviously, we are very happy on our end to be back in Madrid being hosted there. Um, it's always a great time out there. So for anyone that hasn't purchased a ticket yet and wants to join, 
you can still do that and get a 30% discount using the pass or the discount code streamtime30. So that's all one word, streamtime, like the podcast, and then the number three zero. Uh, so you haven't been out there or you've not been to Madrid yet. We would certainly recommend you go out there. It's the premium event when it comes to sports broadcasts and OTT. So if you've enjoyed the podcast, you'll only enjoy the event even more. Uh, you'll even have the chance to meet us in person as well as some of the other people within the community. So if you have not done that and you are interested, would certainly recommend you do that. Um, I don't know. I feel like that's a ringing endorsement. Nick, do I need to say anything else or can we jump straight into it? Yeah, I mean, just to emphasize for those that are umming and ahhing and thinking, you know, OTT specifically, I am interested in it, but it's not for me. It's worth noting this event is about OTT, obviously, at the heart of it, but it's also just about digital media. You know, we cover everything from social media, what the social uh, platforms are doing, uh, owned and operated platforms, what they're doing, everything to do around content creation and, and audiences, really, around the digital space and sports is going to be covered here. There's going to be some stuff on Web3 by uh, by one Chris Stone. I believe we'll be running a, a masterclass or two on that, um, and it will be well worth seeing because I've seen him in action. Um, so there'll be plenty of interesting content that is built around the whole digital media landscape and sports uh, even though it is badged as ott i mean ott is much more than just what it originally uh, sort of stood out for in this industry so worth coming along if you have any interest in the sports digital media space and business it's a story for another day, but when I get on stage speaking about Web3, I prefer to go by my uh, pseudonym, which is Jurgen Buster, but that is, uh, that's a story <laughs> for another day. <laughs> yeah, for those who didn't know, I wasn't there, but apparently uh, someone came to one of our team at our Singapore event and said, that was a great session um, by the gentleman on stage. Could you put me in touch with Jurgen Buster, where it was supposed to be? The session was dubbed Jargon Busters. Or Jargon Buster, was that right? Yep, so yep. Uh, so you, you've now been called Jürgen, Jürgen Buster in the office a few times now. So I'm hoping that name sticks for you because it's, uh, it's quite a, quite a, got a, quite a ring to it. I, I, I do enjoy it. I have to, I have to but uh, we'll, we'll move on. Enough with, enough with the banter. We'll move into it. Um, speaking of the OTT Summit, though, uh, one of our favorite speakers that we've had featured a couple times now, and I remember my first time out of Madrid, um, he was one of the closing keynotes, really did a great job, and the title of the session was Gen Z's Never Going to Pay for Your Effing. Uh, OTT platform, Mr. Dan Porter, you know, the one of the co-founders of Overtime, although he's talked about sort of his anti-OTT platform establishment mentality, he's now actually joined a broadcast partnership with Amazon as part of Overtime Elite. For those of you who don't know, Overtime Elite is a developmental basketball league we've spoken about before for players between 16 and 20 years old it's got a, a minimum 100k salary and players can also benefit from name image and likeness it's really trying to take on some of the structures that are in place for ncaa and college basketball but for those not familiar with overtime they obviously started uh, as a social media channel really kind of publishing content um, across instagram tiktok and youtube but now they've created their own sports league through Overtime Elite. They've also got their Overtime 7, which is flag football, which is a different proposition. But basically, Nick, we've gone from hearing Dan Porter basically, you know, sort of F-U-F this uh, to, to OTT platforms. And now they've got a partnership over the next three years with Amazon. So what are your thoughts on that, Nick? It, it seems like we've kind of come full circle. Now, Amazon's a, you know, a curious partner for Overtime that, that is a business being built around the younger generation, those youth audiences that they have done such a great job in connecting with. Now, if we re rewind 
a couple of years ago or so now i'm not sure how, how i get confused between since covid happened and like one one's a year ago two years ago but a while ago when there was the first announcements of the the big round of investors that had bought into overtime there was a bunch of names that were really interesting on that list there was about something like was it eight percent of current nba active players i think was the number which sounds bonkers but i think i'm pretty sure it was eight percent it was either three or eight the number kind of looked a bit looked round. Like yeah, yeah, something like that. I think it was eight percent, which is a crazy number. It includes some of the the bigger names in the business, like your Kevin Durant and like. But one of the other names that popped up, which was quite interesting, was Jeff Bezos. Uh, and some people might be familiar with that name as the founder of Amazon. So uh, I would say um, to see this deal being announced, it's not all surprising, given he is actually an investor. A personal investor into this project um and something i think that is missed by some people it's a curious move but actually i don't necessarily see how obvious a fit it is alongside some of their other rights that being said you know they've probably done a deal like dan dan porter is a very smart operator and i'm sure he's done a deal that is not putting all his eggs in the amazon basket here he has he had outlined to us before that they were going to be after a media rights deal at some stage uh, I think most people thought they're probably lining up or hoping for an ESPN type to further legitimize the sports property that they were creating or sports properties. Uh, and obviously the, the negative that Amazon generally does have is um, they'd have a lack of discoverability and they have a lack of shoulder content around, uh, around their sports. However, I don't know if we've actually reported or not, but I do remember seeing a, a story that Amazon is getting set to launch a whole host of magazine shows and uh, more daily content, which would be massive because that is one of their biggest Achilles heels, which I've brought up a few times in the show that the big gap they don't offer some of these sports is that peripheral coverage and shoulder content that someone like ESPN does. Like if you're in an ESPN's team, you will get coverage on all the news outlets, all the, all their main platforms, their magazine shows, their part of the interruptions and all those other shows that they have, you will know, no doubt get more coverage on those as a result of having a strong relationship with ESPN and Amazon don't have that. So look, overall, it's an exciting sort of tipping point for the overtime business and overtime journey to get that platform support outside of the non-traditional traditional platforms, if that makes sense. You know, you're thinking about how much they've doubled down and relied upon social media to be their platform of choice. Now this is leaning back into the the more traditional world of sports. So uh, I'm curious to see what sort of impact it does have, but look, gives them no doubt some money in the bank, gives them reach and um, gives them reach, which legitimizes it and helps them fund what they're trying to do with that property. I do wonder though, Chris, you know, with overtime, obviously part of it is that funding, the, the minimum guaranteed salaries, you're closer to obviously college sports over in the US than I am. But since they announced that um that new league set up with the guarantees name image likeness has become a pretty prolific part of the conversation around college sports and monetization for athletes i wonder as a result of that how that has impacted this because i guess it must have taken a little bit of the wind out of their sails because it is a, another revenue stream that wasn't ex in existence when they came up with this well i think one of the interesting things is when dan porter last spoke um at the ott summit it, last year he mentioned sort of the 
the Overtime Elite setup also provides education in terms of being able to understand how to market and build your personal brand, how to manage your money, like what happens when you're an 18-year-old and all of a sudden you've got seven figures thrown at you. I think one of the benefits, and this is just me not speaking streaming related, is if you're a college athlete, you still have to go to classes. You still have to meet certain academic standards. You're not actually a full-time basketball player. I mean, let's be honest, like they're getting a lot of help and a lot of assistance, but there's still certain academic things they've got to tick off the box to still be a college athlete, where I think the overtime elite still is a little bit different in that there's still that education piece, which Dan Porter's talked about, and I'm sure they're doing that to make sure they have the financial literacy skills to go on and to do what they want to do. But I think it is much more geared towards the idea of I'm driving my career in a certain direction. So I think for some players, there's still the appeal of the college lifestyle, but I think the overtime elite also gives you more sort of, I guess, defined path into basketball. So I couldn't definitively sell one way or another, but I do think that is one differentiating factor between the two paths. Yeah, I just found it interesting because thinking about it out loud, because I haven't thought about it before this, uh, is that if you come and join a big college program, you do get a huge boost in awareness because you're a part of major programs. Uh, therefore, the name image likeness might be a more profitable route for you than it used to be since it didn't exist until recently. On the flip side of that, uh, over time, have a lot of access to great people um, who would no doubt be able to help curate those those people you think about all the the active nba players that they do have on the roster or on the investment group that's pretty cool access and i think two of the players that they have in the overtime elite are potential top 10 picks in the nba draft this year if i remember correctly which you know would obviously further legitimize uh and stamp this is a, a i guess a legitimate channel for these uh these top prospects to be coming in so reason we're talking about that is there's going to be a huge storytelling element around all of this there's going to be the behind the scenes documentary stuff there's going to be the live matches and it just keep it just i guess goes to show it goes things have changed a lot from the days that i remember he hearing uh dan porter talk about they don't even need a website because kids don't look at websites. And now they're working with one of the biggest commerce platforms in the world to distribute their content. It's just come a long way. Good yeah, good absolutely. Him. Yeah, I agree. But similar to what you said before, Dan Porter's a smart guy. So I'm sure whatever he's got cooked up, um, there will be more news coming, more sports. This won't be the last thing that we hear from them. But, you know, another example kind of talking about you know, meeting people where the fans are. There was an announcement recently regarding One Football. We've obviously talked about um, the work that One Football have done and just the way they've sort of structured, um, I guess, their little mini football empire taking place amongst all the other big rights holders and broadcasters. But they're now going to launch a smart TV platform. Within that smart TV platform, people will be able to purchase pay-per-view games across the Bundesliga, Serie A, um, as well as Brazil, Syria. There's also going to be exclusive content with one football's partner teams, AC Milan and PSG. Currently, that is available on the Amazon Fire Stick as well as Apple devices. And it's going to be rolling out with Android and Samsung and LG as well. So, Nick, we've talked about smart TVs before. You know, is this just, you know, common sense move by one football? Or perhaps you have a, a view on how difficult it is to maybe go from a mobile first setup to now doing something on connected TVs? You know, how difficult is that transition from a product perspective? Yeah, it's one of the underrated things from the broadcast community, get it, but the sports industry a little bit less au fait with the fact that you need to invest a lot of resource constantly, not just for the first iteration of upgrading and creating different versions of the same product to work across uh, all these different platforms of choice, all these different connected devices. You know, if anyone who's built 
an app before knows that you basically have to build two different apps if you're building the same product for iOS or Android, which creates nearly twice as much work. Although there's technology companies and stuff that can help with that these days, it's nearly double the work in terms of development and so forth. It's like a different code and so forth. So think about that, but think about expanding that across all sorts of different providers who create all sorts of different loopholes to jump through and different technologies work differently with different systems, right? So the long story short is it's inevitable the move that everyone needs to make is to have a smart TV platform these days. Smart TV consumption is going through the roof. Uh, I don't have any stats in front of me, although I did see some recently and connected TVs and and smart TV consumption is just going up at an accelerated rate. Um, And actually mobile and so forth is strong as well, but that's where the growth is because people still want to consume in a fairly traditional format. But the difference is they have smart TVs where they can pick and choose what they want to do with that, that, that whole lean back versus lean, uh, lean in experience we've talked about a lot. So I'm interested, you know, I think smart TVs still have a long way to go generally in terms of the experiences. I've used a couple major broadcast platforms and, you know, one eye looking at just what I want to watch and the other eye looking at the experience that it's being served. And, you know, the, the mobile experience is, is light years better than, than smart TVs experience these days. So when you have a someone like one football trying to create an experience where you can buy pay-per-view seamlessly it's actually a lot harder than you would think to do you've got a you know the different platforms have different ways of linking you between purchases and sign-ins on your mobile device that sends a message to your smart tv to let it know that you're processing this um this payment or this sign-in process so it's it is quite complicated you need a quite a big dev team to do all those things um or work with the right partners in the industry to, to do that stuff that's why you've probably seen people like your endeavors and alike launch fast uh you know fast channel services dedicated services to be able to I guess, provide a solution to people that aren't and can't do it themselves. In a lot of these instances, if a sports property who's got an OTT platform wants to just roll out across a whole bunch of smart TV platforms, they actually can't really do that without some serious support from third parties. Yeah. I mean, just speaking totally anecdotally from my perspective, it's I think it's just about that freedom of choice. You know, when tomorrow morning, when I come into the office, I'm going to download the 40 minute version of the Monday night football game onto my phone because that's how I need to watch it. You know, it's just, it's on the phone, it's mobile, it's easy. But when I'm sat in my house, even though I can watch NFL game pass on my phone, my iPad, my, my PC or my smart TV, while I'm at home, I want it on the big screen. Um, just being able to have that flexibility to do all those different things. So yes, one football provides a great service, but just being able to, when I'm not on the go, when I don't need to access on mobile, being able to put on the big screen is such a big thing. And I think to your other point as well, like the connected TV stuff, just with the NFL Game Pass, my digital version is just so much more accessible than the smart TV version. Just a little, and I've got the, the LG TV. It's got the magic wand remote and all that stuff where you can um, do some different things with. But even then, it's still a bit difficult. But I think it's just having that freedom and flexibility to watch it how you want to watch it. Yeah, and one of the things to think about is like if if from a from a strategy perspective and from a pl- development perspective think about the process of having all these different touch points and all these different platforms and channels that you have available uh, if you want to change make a small change you then have therefore have to change it across all these different platforms so nothing is a simple change in this world where you've got to have something available on on connected maybe linear uh, apps uh, desktop all these different these different channels it's not easy to to manage all this yourself and that's why you do often need either huge dev teams or great partners involved to make sure you can you can act 
reactively and quite quickly rather than take several months to get things where you want to go. And you can imagine if you've got, you're working on a budget and you launch something and then realize, actually, you know what, we want to change direction on this, but we've just spent all this extra dev work creating all these other different platforms, like sub platforms on all, all these other different channels and then having to do that all over again. So that's why you often see certain properties when they're starting out, will just pick one or two to start with and then build up step by step rather than go all in from the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. Another story came up, you you mentioned it on your Twitter the other day, and I, I thought it was just kind of interesting because we do spend quite a bit of time talking about Comcast and what they're doing with Peacock, and then obviously what that means um, with their acquisition of Sky. And we talk quite a bit about what's going on in Sky in the UK, given sort of the, the breadth of rights that they have here and sort of their goals of being the ultimate aggregator of content. But one of the things you recently tweeted out uh, is that there's reports out there that Comcast are now considering the sale of Sky Germany. And, you know, originally uh, Comcast acquired Sky for $39 billion back in 2018. Uh, but now, you know, talking about inflation and the term macroeconomics, which is now a term I've heard more in the last month than I think I can probably remember my first 32 years of life. They're now looking at potentially offloading Sky Germany for around a billion dollars. So I think you mentioned, you know, they're spending more than that just on sports rights every year. So, you know, what, what do you what do you make of this? Do you think this is potentially a trend in other places or is this just isolated to the German market or just any other thoughts on how Comcast are moving through this? Yeah, look, I found it a really surprising announcement. As I said, like just as an example, I don't know enough about the Sky Deutschland business to really comment specifically, but the fact that it's been announced that they value it only a billion dollars when they're spending so much, when you think about what you see across other businesses in the tech space um, and media, in fact, how much they're losing yet valued at you know X multiples of their revenue, it's a, it's a curious position to be in. So I am interested to see what happens with that. I feel like if that was actually the case, being valued at a billion, I think someone would snap them up pretty quickly. But it's not as easy as that. You know, these these businesses, uh, they're all linked and linked together. Sky's brand is in there. So Sky's brand is connected uh, with the Comcast group, which has obviously, we've talked about the F1 deal recently. They were doing deals collectively only as recently as, as that deal that we just discussed. So... Uh, look, you'd have to be looking at a whole rebrand of the, the the channel, rebrand of the Sky offering. Sure, there'd be no doubt a lineup of suitors who would be interested. Um, I don't know enough about the, the German market to really know how dominant they are. But I, for far as I'm aware, a football is by far the first, second, and third most popular sports there. So if you own the majority share of football rights, you're in a good place. And there's not a lot of major competition for them overall. So. Yeah, it's a curious one for me. Well, that's interesting. Um, I can't cite the article, but as I was doing some research into this, the the source said Germany's actually got one of the lowest affinities for the uh, population for paying for TV. So it doesn't sound like there's likely to pay some other markets. Uh, I'd have to go back and cite that out. I'll do it in a Twitter thread tomorrow. But one of the interesting things is they've, they've talked about potentially one of the reasons for that is DAZN's growing presence in Germany, the the German market for DAZN's probably one of their best markets, probably where they have some of the stronger footholds in football, as you mentioned. And even in the article talking about Sky Germany, they talked about um, Sky Italy has seen a dip as well. And again, DAZN has managed to get Serie A rights there, although there's been noted uh, struggles with some of that broadcast and even having to aggregate some of the content back to Sky. But, you know, could we flip this and say, 
although DAZN still has things they need to fix and need to solve, they've at least got some sort of sign that where they've been able to get major rights, they can cause problems? Or is that me connecting dots that don't really exist? Yeah, hard to say. I think we're going to see more of this in the next couple of years. DAZN have said multiple times now that they're aiming for profitability in 2024. That is not far away, right? So, um Look, when you when you go into market and you're competing for rights like these guys are, naturally the, the price goes up, which means their costs go up, which makes them less profitable as a result of that. What was the number? Was it un- that Comcast has written off something like nine billion dollars to reflect it? Like that's that's an insane amount of money to just lose off the value of your business. So look, it, it, the the whole broadcasting world is still in a bit of a it's still in a transition phase and we'll be in a transition phase for a number of years to get through this, this shift in, um, in the way, uh, content and broadcasting is consumed. Um, so maybe some, some investors aren't willing to see that through. I mean, look at the, some of the numbers that you're seeing from people like discovery and, and whatnot, they're, they're hemorrhaging money. The losses are incredible, but they've got a long-term vision, a long-term plan, but it doesn't feel like these days, broadcast companies and owners are as comfortable as have with having those losses in the near term they need to start seeing profitability sooner rather than later and um, obviously Comcast aren't completely happy with sort of riding out that transition across all their key markets yeah well another another person that maybe perhaps put short-term profits over maybe long-term opportunities are one of our you know what a deputy what what what's sam's official title working with uh i think it's features editor now features uh, editor. yeah we've uh, i think it's features editor and, yeah, and maybe and, uh, and and deputy editor on the side i think he's got he's got a, wears a few hats yeah i wanted to say deputy editor but i knew there's something with the features but he's recently done a, a piece uh with the MLS president, Mark Abbott. And one of the questions or one of the areas that came up is obviously around the Apple TV deal. And, you know, one of the things, just a reminder for people, you know, Apple and MLS now have sort of an exclusive agreement. If you want to watch every single match in the MLS starting in 2023, that will now be um, as part of a package that sits within Apple TV. That new deal is worth uh, $250 million per year for the next 10 years, which is one of the things that was highlighted that it is quite a lengthy deal that could be, um, a bargain for the MLS if things go the way um, they hope and the World Cup in 2026 being in the U.S. just continues to drive things. Uh, but, you know, Sam asked, you know, a number of questions sort of talking about that and, you know, whether or not moving everything behind another paywall on a non-premium platform was necessarily the right move for them. And, you know, Mark made some comments saying, actually thinks it's the right thing to do because based on their audience, they're digitally native. Um, we know where they consume things and that's really a move in the correct direction. You know, what, what were your thoughts on some, some of the, the comments he made in that interview and sort of the direction of that deal with Apple? Well, from what I'm hearing, the MLS is struggling with its ratings right now. It's struggling to compete with all the major sports properties, the pro leagues over in the US and the rise of the Premier League and even the league's rights are worth far more significant a premium than the MLSs themselves, which is quite a, an amazing thing to think about when you hear all the noise, all the valuations we're seeing on some of the MLS franchises, yet they're barely the third. I, I imagine they're third uh, in scale. I don't think the Bundesliga surpasses them, but I, I don't know what the value oh. is off the top of my head. Well, it may even be fourth if you count the Champions League. Yeah, indeed. So, you know, they've got a lot of, lot of competition on football or soccer, I should say, uh, soccer rights over there. I should 
talk about contextually, at least in in this instance. So what what was interesting, I think I took out of that was just that he reinforced that initially they are going to have some games on linear in the in the early years, and they are going to have some games in front of the paywall on Apple Plus, Apple TV Plus, which we kind of I think already knew that part. But what was interesting, they did confirm that they would have some linear coverage. Look, I think the whole notion of oh, this is where their audience is, we we skew younger, therefore this is the place we need to be. I think everyone says that, you know, MLB say that because they need the younger demographics are on these platforms, so they need to be on Apple TV as well. Um, everyone needs to be on these platforms in some way, shape or form. The question will ultimately come down to whether or not it's enough for them to uh, build a new new found relationship with audiences. What's going to be really interesting to see is how significant Will it be when people like Messi come to the MLS, which is reports are he will come. He is the biggest star probably in the world outside of Ronaldo from a pure brand name perspective. It could be that Ronaldo ends up there too. And whilst might, some might think it's the a bit of a retirement league for a lot of these top players coming over, the fact is they are still still continuing to come over and they will drive global awareness. And that's where this Apple relationship can really play a role for those true fans yet we saw that we've brought it up before i think i have anyway there's the there's the case study of when ronaldo went to from real madrid to juventus and they saw something like a million followers jump onto the juventus um social media platforms in a single day and equally real madrid lost nearly a million now that's just an example of the the what would you call it? the inertia that, that these athletes give them? Ronaldo recently won um, Sports Pro's 50 Most Marketable Athletes still. So my point is that if they can continue to bring this star power that have, has global appeal, I think it will help them leverage this global Apple relationship. And finally, the other part, which we talked about when we did analyze this deal previously, was what being sort of um, part of the Apple ecosystem can bring. The you know, Apple News, um, the alerts they can provide, they can be really targeted uh, in making sure they keep serving messages and opportunities to consume MLS content to the right people because Apple has that true direct relationship. Like it, it's the only platform that has only single company that has a true relationship like that at scale that could invest a lot of time in serving stuff at no cost to Apple itself, to audiences to, to drive them to MLS products. So whether they double down on that and continue to do it for years to come or whether they'll trial it and see how it resonates with audiences, we'll see. But that's going to be a huge X factor in this deal that I think none of us really know how much it's, how impactful that's going to be until Apple show us how committed they are to the MLS. And that is the one point that Mark touched on as being the big positive is that Apple as a platform can provide things that no one else can do. And really what they're trying to do through this move is create these deeper engagements with fans. And if anyone can do it, it will be Apple. But, you know, interestingly, the last sort of section of that that part of the interview, he still talks about, you know, there are going to be questions about the length of the deal. Did they go for the money up front as opposed to what it could be worth in 10 years. I think the other part of this, especially considering how much we've talked recently about RSNs is just the nature of the US sports market and how much those teams rely on local TV deals that they're now mm. not going to be able to negotiate. And then of course, the fact that they're going to be the ones responsible for fronting the bill on the production end. So there's still, still quite a lot of questions, I think, to get through there. And I think Mark obviously is optimistic they'll be able to do that but there's definitely this is one of those we're going to have to wait and see how that deal all sorts itself out over the future 
Yeah, completely. It's a new new deal. It's a new deal that everyone in the entire industry will be following. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of question marks still to come. So still to be answered. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the interesting stories, one of the things, you know, we're talking more about at Sports Pro and, you know, we, we're doing our hackathon. If you're not aware of our hackathon, please do look into it, working with students and talking about the triple bottom line and sports for good and, you know, maybe even relates to our Laureus um, it brand index that came out today talking about brands that are making positive changes. But one of the things that's sort of along that lines in the way sports broadcast and technology can come together is there's a recent story that took place with BT Sport working with UEFA. And now BT's become the first broadcaster to produce a UEFA match entirely using uh, the cloud, which has basically led to a carbon's emissions cut by 25%. The match took place. It was actually a UEFA UEFA youth league match between Tottenham and a uh, sporting club based in Portugal. They did this using AWS's technology. So probably not a surprise there that AWS being the, the giant company they were being the ones able to do this, you know, BT sport have been known, at least in the UK, people will be familiar. Uh, they've done quite a lot doing streaming on their 5g network. So really this is them kind of merging two different technologies to actually be able to do this. And it aligns with UEFA's strategy of trying to be more sustainable by 2030. So, you know, Nick, this just seems common sense now coming out of the COVID days, the lockdown days where we've done so much stuff remotely. Um, you know, do you think that's accelerated this or do you think ultimately like we're actually probably not that far away from seeing this kind of almost be common practice? Yeah, it started really at um, the beginning of the pandemic, right? Where everyone was trying to work out how on earth do we serve live sports when we don't, we can't actually get people there. And that was the first time we started to see remote production. I've heard some great stories. I think even um, uh, the CEO from BT Sport was on one of our pods or or uh, one of our live events, the virtual live events. series. Yeah. And he was talking about the fact that I think one of their commentators had their Tesco supermarket delivery turn up at the door mid mid commentary, uh, which is such as the example of what can happen when you're doing things remotely. Um, but it worked. It's been working well. There is some challenges around delivering in remote, but the benefit is, look, Sustainable sustainability will become a more important topic for everyone. It should be already be an important topic, but it's going to become more front and center, and particularly for the broadcast industry because the broadcast industry does use a lot of energy. It's not particularly sustainable. Data centers use a lot of energy, and so if there's anything they can do to to help that, that's great. Now that whilst it does sound great, and remote production is becoming more and more an important area that everyone is focused on. Uh, not just because of the carbon footprint and sustainability, because of the cost-reducing uh, elements of it. You know, just anecdotally, you don't have to fly people around the world. Spork is a great example of someone that does that. They're a, a remote commentary business uh, that I think helps basically uh, allow sports properties to access commentary talent anywhere in the world to do more languages. Um, so I think the example I saw was they did like the Rugby World Cup and you they could pick any language and they would plugging one of their commentators to do it real time and then provide a whole new feed of content at a relatively inexpensive way. But the, the challenge you're going to have is if it's all served in the cloud, latency will still be a problem. You, know, you, you do need the hardware or the, the, the more traditional means to make sure that latency from a traditional pub broadcasting sense is delivered at expected means these days. Uh, even though there's a debate about the importance of low latency, if you're not doing it the base layer level well that means no one's going to be able to get 
the the um the ultra high speed coverage and therefore it's fine for a youth league match but it will not be fine um for those partners of say betting companies or data companies like sport radar and, and genius sports who are will be reliant on getting access to that stuff i imagine pretty quickly so really good to see that organizations are are doing this sort of stuff and it's working uh it's still a long way till we get to a point where this will be achievable for the big big time shows largely because of i think things like latency issues which will be a huge barrier and the cloud isn't quick enough yet in these instances to serve as far as i'm aware like i'm not a true expert in this by any stretch of the mean just i'm not an expert on this stuff but from the conversations i had that is where the technology will have plenty of work to do to overcome and we're not that close to it being solved just yet from from a cloud only perspective anyway well, that's one of the things, if you come to the OTT Summit, we're going to have a debate. And I believe one of the questions is, does latency actually matter? So maybe this will be a, a good excuse to bring that up and talk about it, Nick. Absolutely. Uh, and I don't think I get a choice as to what side I'm going to sit on that debate as part of the, the fun of the debate. So uh, let's see what, uh, what, what, gets, what gets delivered on, on, uh, on the stage for that one. Yeah. Well, the last story, it's not necessarily purely you know ott content but it is talking about the monetization of highlights and looking at a company that really you know kind of was put as the poster child of who is doing it right in the web3 space and over the weekend or sort of end of week last week it was announced that dapper labs who are responsible for the nba top shot that everyone's familiar with but they've also are doing their nfl all day ufc strike and they've got a couple other different partnerships they have announced they're going to do a 22% cut in their workforce, um, again, due to stated comments around macroeconomic trends. And even the CEO admitted that they they probably grew a little too fast. And, you know, now that there's been a bit of a downturn in NFT purchases or even just probably a bit more of an expected dip, you know, it wasn't surely wasn't always possible to always rise that fast and stay that fast. But you know, they were founded in 2018 and they went from 100 employees to 600 employees. So quite a massive growth in the company. But I think the the really sort of damning stats were in this last month in October, there's only $2.7 million worth of sales across NBA Top Shot. That's down 94% at $40.9 million, which took place 12 months ago last October. And I think the other interesting statistic is you guys will know from hearing me say different things in the so rare world and how I, I buy into that. And, you know, in their discourse, they're always talking about unique buyers. But this month in October for NBA Top Shot, they had 13,000 unique buyers compared to last year where there was over 65,000 unique buyers. So I think sometimes the money thing can be a little misleading if it's just the same people going back and forth. I think that's actually probably the more alarming stat that the number of unique buyers has shrunk by so much. So, you know, Nick, you know, I, I kind of made the comment to you of NBA Top Shot, as their CEO mentioned, like probably grew too fast, probably didn't see what the next stages of the company, like owning that highlight was great. It was a the perfect timing with lockdown and all that, but maybe they didn't quite have the next stage of that evolution in place. But, you know, what any general thoughts perhaps on this particular move before we start talking about some of the metas and Twitters that are also going through a little bit of something like this? Yeah, look, I think it's one of these, yet another example in sport, the sports, sports tech, digital space that everyone wants to be unicorn and grow as fast as possible. But at what price, you know, or what price uh, and what expectations were here? Look, I looked at the numbers. They were, they raised 
a huge amount of money and were valued at something like eight billion dollars last year. That was their that was their valuation. That, that that valuation would be plummeting or had plummeted significantly since then. And sometimes you've got to know and and not have to try and hit a home run like that quickly. You've got to understand that you've got to play it a little bit carefully. Like every broadcaster I talk to in sports, not one of them that I've spoken to is taking NFT seriously. It hasn't been. Not one of them. None of the major broadcasters. Sports properties have been because they that fits much better into their wheelhouse. But the broadcasters themselves aren't really looking at that in, in any serious way. Now, some, some of you could argue that's misguided. Some of you could argue that's being very overly cautious. But we've seen more examples of bad stories around that than we have good stories. And NBA Top Shot was the what do you call it? The example of the litmus for the industry to go, you know, they did it right. Again, I kind of liken it a little bit to a bit like the Drive to Survive F1 impact where they timed it well, uh, they got the product right, they launched it and it went off, right? Now, if they came in with the same product after half a dozen others had done it in other sports, would they have had the same results? And the answer is I don't think they would have. So timing was everything in terms of that initial wave of interest. And I'm not saying it's not a great product. I think it is great in a lot of ways, shapes, or forms. We've talked about so rare a number of times. I like what they're doing there. It's just about balancing up the whole grow at any cost or be a bit pragmatic with when to invest and when to take it easy, especially when you know the whole world uh, is going a bit crazy. There's lots of macroeconomic challenges, as uh, you sort of pointed out to earlier. So part of it, I would say, being frank, is the, it's the price you pay for working in the big tech space. You know, we've seen the same in Meta and Twitter. There is always a bit of a risk hanging over your heads when you work for a, a multi-unicorn level status business that you can ride the wave of that fun, but you can also be dropped in a blink of an eye because ultimately numbers matter more than more than anything else. Um, so a tough thing to, to be seeing to people's people's livelihoods and people's work is being challenged. That being said, to be involved with these sorts of companies, they will no doubt get an opportunity elsewhere, uh, particularly as even though we've seen this insane dip across NFT uh, consumption and, and purchase, I, I can definitely imagine this is going to pick up again. It's just a, it's a cyclical thing like we saw initially in the first sort of wave of interest around blockchain and then our blockchain uh, in sort of 2018, 19. We're going to see another another jump and it's going to keep leveling out until it becomes mainstream over the course of the next X amount of years. How many years that is, I have no idea. Yeah, well, it's interesting. Like you say, you know, NFT is a dirty word now. Everyone calls them digital mm. collectibles. You know, no one even wants to, to say NFT. But I think to your point, I'm perhaps maybe more bullish than others. I just think there's been a lot of bad examples, but eventually it'll it'll sort itself out. But, you know, one of the things you alluded to and not to go too far down the rabbit hole because it very easily could, you know, that as you mentioned, you know, Meta and Twitter are also kind of on this similar wavelength in terms of making announcements about making cuts. Obviously, Elon Musk uh, famously is laid off around 50% of Twitter staff, again, citing macroeconomic reasons. And we've also heard from Meta saying that they're planning on making an announcement to employees that they'll be downsizing the company. And, you know, I was reading a story about how they lost a quarter of their stock in a single day, um, just how things have worked out for them. But, you know, we've talked about what the role of social is in sports and obviously Meta and Twitter, are the two biggest players in that, you know, TikTok is fastly ascending on that list. But Meta also includes Instagram within there, includes Facebook and then Twitter. Obviously, we've spoken about 
is this going to have a real impact on sports? Is social media still going to be the player that it is? Or is this just really kind of unfortunate news for those? But for us sitting in the sports world, should we really expect much of a difference? Yeah, it's an it's a interesting question to ponder. My, my guess would be that, um, look, we're seeing a big shift in where advertising dollars are being spent and how they're being spent because of the macroeconomic challenges. We're going to keep using that word all the time now because it's uh, been raised, but um, because of that, that, that situation uh, and also equally the rise of platforms like TikTok, uh, we're going to see more and more money being shifted out of those incumbents, which are Facebook and Google because of their ad businesses and into new platforms like TikTok, which are la- largely in comparison to what Twitter's known for, uh, praised for some, praised by some uh, for some of their moderation abilities to moderate content versus what Twitter is, and that's quite quite the opposite. So, I would expect to see more and more advertising revenue to go to platforms like uh, TikTok, which would mean uh, more opportunity to partner with TikTok if you're a sports property to try and generate some rev share revenue. And we had. Um, we had the global head of uh, sports, sports media. I can't remember what his name was off the top of my head. Harish Sama, I think was his name off the, off the top of my head. And he talked a bit about that. And he did explain about how they are working with sports properties to j- help them generate funds and partner with them. I would expect to see more people doubling down on that because the money is shifting that way as well as audiences shifting that way. Now, everyone is copying them in some way. There's speculation that Twitter might launch something now with, um, with Elon at the helm, but who knows what what's going to happen there but i think large is going to be businesses business as usual in the short term um you know i think they found their lane right if this had happened eight to ten years ago i think everyone would be really curious because facebook was just on the on the stage of looking at buying sports rights and twitter was doing a bit on live sports but now i think they've kind of found their place in the ecosystem and as long as twitter doesn't completely reinvent itself to being what it is today and that's a, a platform that people use to access news and the latest of things um then i think it's, go- it's going to be okay but i'd expect to see a big push towards tiktok in my view uh, over anything else fair well you know like i said i was probably an early adopter on twitter for anyone that's american football fan chad johnson or the ocho as you may know him um was very infamous as being one of the first big people on twitter and i just got on twitter to follow him so for i think about the first four or five years i had twitter i didn't i think i just followed chad johnson and nothing nothing else so you know without going down that rabbit hole of uh what i think of elon and all this it, it will be interesting to see how it goes but uh certainly hope oh we got we got a- well i was just gonna say i remember actually you pointing that out and uh I remember those days that he was quite active and I think he was quite active at doing vines, if I remember correctly, or definitely sharing vines. And that's one of the rumors that Elon is going to be bringing back vine, right? So for those that don't are too old, too old, too young to remember that or too old, I'm not sure. Uh, that's basically like what a version of what TikTok ended up being in some way. So, uh, that was one of the rumors, I think, that he got the uh, tech team to relook at the Vine code to see if it was usable. Yeah, and I, I saw a former Vine employee saying, don't look at the code, please. So I don't know how <laughs> optimistic she was about it. Yeah, but I, interestingly, on Twitter front, I think they have actually, um, I heard rumors that they're bringing, they're hiring like a couple of hundred new people and they're actually asking some people they let go to come back. So who knows who knows what's happening in all this space but it just comes back to the whole point around media or particularly the tech space if 
it's in a bit of flux at the moment because it was for a while the industry was all about growth and at any cost and now it is pragmatic growth uh growth with legitimate business case behind it which sounds obvious but it wasn't that a few years ago um so it's gonna be interesting just to see if that does filter into sports in some way shape or form in the coming years given that tech is playing such an important role in sports but um part of the fun of what we do is to see where it takes us absolutely well nick as always it's a pleasure to, to spend the afternoon with you talk a little bit of sports um hope everybody at home enjoyed the episode and we'll be back with you next week thanks everyone before you go, myself and Nick would just like to thank you for tuning into this episode of Streamtime. If you found the episode insightful, please make sure you like and subscribe on whichever platform you listen to. As a growing podcast, we'd greatly appreciate your support in sharing or writing a review. Ultimately, we want this podcast to not only entertain you, but also hopefully help you navigate the digital sports landscape. If you have any feedback on previous episodes or any topics and speakers you'd like to hear from in the future, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find myself and Nick Meacham on LinkedIn or on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at SportsProChris1. Nick can be found at SportsProNick. Of course, if you want to stay fully up to date on the sports business news cycle, please make sure to visit the SportsPro Media website or sign up to one of our several newsletters to make sure you don't miss anything. Once again, thank you, and we look forward to you joining us next week on the Streamtime Podcast. 